0: Have you had a spooky week in the market? Been too scared to catch up with the latest trends? Well, welcome to Cloud9Fin, where we cannot promise you protection from witches and werewolves this Halloween weekend, but we can bring you the need-to-know information on documentation, ESG and other themes showing up in the high-yield leveraged loans and restructuring spaces. I'm Kat Hidalgo, a reporter at Ninefin, and I'll be your ghost—sorry, host for today we'll take a look at a new change of control provision, we look at ESG-linked bonds and loan innovation, and we take a deep dive into why the market has softened ever so slightly in the last couple of weeks. But first, the Levfin Wrap. In bonds, still in the market, we have Multicolor, Petrofac, Asda, and Tiva, with the latter making up the bulk of the value. Interestingly, all high yield in the market is currently rated at at least W minus, in something of an aberration from the rest of the year. In loans, volume is a bit higher in line with the current trends, with 10 different tranches out with a total value of more than 3 billion euros. Issuers are all uh, single B and include Alstrom Munchko, Aquinity, Marlink, Median Clinican, Pharmazel, Sinson and Exis. Next up, we have the Covenant close-up. Today we're going to be speaking to legal analyst Alice Hollion. Thanks so much for being with us today, Alice.
1: Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be on here.
0: Today we're going to be talking about a certain change of control provision um, that you've only seen for the first time. We're not able to talk about what deal it's on. And this is just based on preliminary documentation. Our team hasn't
1: seen the SFA.
0: We've spoken about change of control previously, but this is kind of taking change of control to the next level. Is that is that correct?
1: Yeah, sort of. We, we just recently reviewed um, a loan doc that had a very very bespoke provision that involved the the merger covenant and and change of control. What's what's your take on on the on the covenant? Well, it puts the lenders in quite a unique position. So so basically, um, it offers the company structuring flexibility in the event of a disposal sort of representing 50 to 95% of the group's assets, EBITDA or or revenue. Um, And firstly, so the term all or substantially all is isn't, isn't defined and this sort of sits in a gray area yet as i already said the company have stated that it actually means anywhere between 50 and 90% 95% of the assets in EBITDA. this is sort of the company just putting their stamp on what that term means and in the in a normal situation the sale of all or substantially all of the assets of the company would result in a change of control put right for the lenders and having to have the transferee assume the SFA obligations due to the the merger covenant provisions um, but this specific bespoke provision undercuts these two provisions so that the change of control and, and the merger covenant by saying that you know if they sell half or, or more of the business and then offer to repay the debt out of the proceeds then they don't have to give the lenders a put right whatsoever um, and, and sort of what's more sort of important is that, you know, the offer to repay the debt can be made pro rata to other senior secured and second lien holders rather than the senior secured holders getting the first bite, which is what would usually happen. And it seems that once the proceeds of the sale have been used, the company has no further obligation to make a change of control. So they, in the, the docs, it states that no default or event of default will be deemed to have occurred if this specific provision is complied with. So the change of control provision has been sort of completely thrown in the trash, to put it lightly.
0: Okay, so from your perspective, what, what, I mean, your own personal opinion, what, what do you think of it?
1: Um, well, as I said, it puts the lenders in quite a precarious um, position. And I think what's important is whether there's a business intention behind this provision. And if so, it's, it's about... The investor is trying to find out what that business intention is, or whether it's just sort of the lawyers baking in some like extra flexibility into the docs so that they can call upon in the future if, if need be. Either way, it's it's definitely a provision that needs questioning.
0: <laughs> Next up, it's time for Please Raise Responsibly, where we take a deeper dive into ESG. Today, I'm with two credit analysts who focus a little bit more on ESG. Uh, We have Josh Latham. Hi, Josh. Hi,
2: Kat, thanks for having me.
0: And Alex Manilopoulos.
2: Hey, Kat, great to be back, thanks.
0: So today, we're gonna be talking about sustainability-linked bond and loan innovation. So yeah, Josh, start us off, what are your thoughts?
3: Yeah, thanks, Kat. So um, we've seen another busy month in ESG markets. In the ESG bond market alone, we've seen 3 billion printed um and saving bonds have taken the majority
2: or well, the lion's share of that amount um through free, free issuers uh on the loan side just covering that i mean we have year-to-date issuance coming up to 45 billion euros so again you know really uh, uh really ticking on um especially in comparison to last year as we know uh, uh esg is an emerging space so we've got you know lots of uh sponsor sponsor side uh, legal counsel um, really <clears throat> uh, really seeing what will fly i think was there any, anything that caught your eye this month uh for one we saw this month that banks might incorporate carbon credits
3: into the sustainable bond deals. Um, And this means that if issuers fail to meet the targets, they will will be penalized by buying, well, they have to purchase carbon offset credits. Um, And these carbon credits is basically an indirect investment into projects, which will go towards the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. And just to give you an example of a project this could be anything from reforestation, um, methane capture or renewable energy like wind farms. The carbon off- offset credits have already been proven in investment grade. So Airtihad Airways released the investment uh, grade sustainability bond in October of 2020 and that was successful. So
2: yeah, hopefully we might be seeing it in the high yield market soon. Well, I think that was the other one that we were both talking about earlier, I think, where, um, obviously, where uh, we have <coughs> uh, char- charitable donations emerging as a potential penalty rather than uh, rather than a margin ratchet step up. Uh, yeah, which will certainly be interesting. Probably not one that's popular with the buy because, of, because, obviously, if... Uh, um, if an issuer fails at ESG terms, then uh, buy-siders don't get the upside. But uh, but obviously, you know, if, if we have a uh, ESG-minded buy then then um, then it, then they should should uh, sure. certainly be happy with uh, <laughs> with uh, where their money is going. I suppose in any case,
3: should investors benefit from issuers' lack of ESG efforts? And I thought there are there's like some problems with this charitable donations. Like, is there any tax implications? Will they get tax relief through this? Um, and then there's also questions around what charities do issuers decide which charities or is it um part of like the investor i don't i'm, I'm not sure how it be um formed but yeah there's obviously a lot of questions around it but it's nice to see that there's innovation in the space and um
2: these ideas being passed around for sure i mean uh, as long as that innovation is obviously uh, for the right reasons uh, per se you know and is uh, actually trying to push forward um uh, to uh put uh, push forward the uh, ambition of the space i mean on the loan side just uh, yeah, to, to to kick off with the uh, One of the examples, I mean, um, of interest this month, uh, we had uh, the uh, ESG terms on uh, Amides 740 uh, million million euro uh, uh, term loan B being dropped. Um, So that contained a five basis point ratchet based on uh, employee injury. So Amides is a medical diagnostics company. um, uh, So they essentially do uh, blood tests and the type. So, I mean, uh, without having access to their history of uh, employee injuries, I mean, for a medical diagnostics company, it's uh, definitely quite an interesting KPI choice. Uh, I'll just say. So I think, um, and obviously we were um, on the loan side, you know, a little bit enthused uh, last month with Runepot's 15 basis point ratchet. And then now we seem to be, again, taking a little bit of a step back. We have another five basis point ratchet and we've seen 2.5 ratchets in the past. So hopefully, you know, we start to kick on more towards the 15 basis point uh, side and up. And obviously on the bond side, the ratchets are. Yeah. So this month we've actually seen the largest ratchet attached to a Sustainable link bond deal.
3: And that was from Grano Invest um 75 basis points attached to one KPI which was the reduction of scope 1 and 2 and 3 greenhouse gas emissions um so yeah when we compare 75 basis points and then you compare that to 2.5 or 5 uh five basis points there's a huge um there's a huge difference um and the granola invest deal was very um interesting to say the least so the sbo um, well the second party opinion provider claimed that it was, well, the, the KPIs were moderately ambitious, and we sort of questioned how ambitious these were. Um, so we found that to meet these targets, they will need to have an average reduction of 1.25% of scope 1, 2, and 3 greenhouse gas emissions. Um, but we've actually found that in the past, from 2018 to 2020, the average annual reduction in scope 1, 2, and 3 greenhouse gas emissions being 4%.
2: So they're not really going above and beyond. For sure. And actually, maybe uh, speaking on that a bit with COP26 around the corner, we've seen a lot of media think around this space, particularly. I mean, we had MASK uh, in uh, August um, announcing the uh, e-methanol as a fuel source for their ships. And then uh, just recently, I think, was it uh, this week or last week, we had uh, Rolls-Royce announcing a partnership with Airbus and Shell um, around the uptake of sustainable aviation fuels or SAFs, as they like to term them. Um, and uh, seeing as we were talking about RunePot, actually, I think that's another uh, uh, um, interesting one of the data, because there's one here at Ninefin that we've been talking about quite a bit in terms of tracking, um, because uh, even though they have an ambitious 15 basis point ratchet, there's an interesting clause in there where essentially this ratchet kicks in on the downside. So uh, basically uh, reducing the coupon um, uh, that, uh, that the issuer has to pay. If two of their three targets are met, but um, only kicks in on the upside to increasing the coupon if all three targets are missed. So it's a little bit of an imbalance there. So that's something to look out for. I mean, specifically how these deals are structured and making sure that they're even on both sides, the up and the downside.
0: Next up, we have our deep discussion, where we discuss a topic in the market a little bit more deeply. Today, we're going to be talking about how the market has softened a little bit. With me, I have our lovely CEO, Stephen Hunter. Hi, Kat. I have the fantastic editor, Chris Haffenden. Hi, Kat. And my wonderful colleague, uh, another loans reporter, Laura Thompson. Happy Halloween, everyone. (laughs) So Stephen, maybe we can start with you. What have you seen in the last couple of weeks?
4: Yeah, so I think there's been a little bit of a sentiment shift. Um, earlier on in summer, maybe the start of September, people were prepared for a very big pipeline of deals, everything was getting done, you could refinance essentially everything, levels were pretty tight, spreads were pretty tight. But just in the last two to three weeks, I think across both bonds and loans, we've th- seen things soften just a little bit. And there's a few signals in the market that People are being a little bit more discerning in terms of the deals that they do and the price level at which they do them. I think it's interesting that earlier this year, essentially anything could be refinanced. But when you look in, in bond land, there are a decent number of names that were done kind of at the tights in August or September, which have now actually traded subpar. So even kind of big telco names like Altice, Altice International's most recent issuance is subpar. Um, you know names like um, is a kind of cross-border U.S. deal, is also subpar. Um some of the double B names or kind of crossover credits like Cellnex, also subpar. So um, there's there's been a little bit of pain in the secondary markets for people who bought into those deals, and maybe now people are just um, demanding a little bit more.
5: Well, I think there was probably um, a lot of pent up demand in September. We saw quite a few deals issue in September, but a little bit late. Uh, it also feels, though, that we've started to see a little bit of change in the rate environment as well. And I think everyone's looking at the pipeline in terms of supply and realising that, particularly on loans, which I think Laura can talk about a little bit in a minute, is there's a lot to choose from. So I think buyers have decided that they can be a bit pickier because they don't have to worry so much about being involved in every single deal. Uh, and to me, the two names that really showed the shift were probably modulaire. And Greco were both of those not only priced somewhat wider in the price guidance but looked like they were pricing cheap compared to the market at that particular point in time but also there was uh, quite a lot of shifting there on the docks as well and shifting on the docks on the bond side as well as loans which i thought was important
6: yeah so um pricing's definitely coming up we're looking at around 400 now for a b2 which was about 375 pre-summer um people obviously have a few reasons i think this is happening silo dynamics are always relevant but people think There's a lot of kind of idiosyncratic credit um, driving this. At the moment, we're having a lot of sort of 300 million deals in quite niche industries that are coming to market. Again, people think that's because they've kind of been waiting for an opportune moment to come. We had a lot of bigger deals coming pre-summer. They didn't want to compete with that. A lot of them are now coming to market now. Those kind of deals always have to come at a bit of a premium to large deals, to familiar names. And once the market has moved, because of maybe, partly, um this influx of these smaller deals then that's now where the market is and so the bigger deals also have to kind of align there. Um, another point they're mentioning is that because of very aggressive margin ratchets earlier in the year on top of these ESG ratchets were, which are now ubiquitous and often pretty easy to hit, they, they feel that they need to price that, that in. They know that they're going to lose a bit of juice often like pretty quickly a few months down the line and they've got to price that into that initial pricing now and all that is kind of leading to loans pricing just a bit nicer than they were um before summer
4: i think one of the interesting points on the loan side as well to laura's point that some of the b2s are now kind of 400 over compared to 375 and also you're getting a little bit more oid these days as well um so you've got to bake that into your kind of all in yield calculations as well so um definitely feels like it's a little bit softer out there, but that said, last week we still had Burger King, France, and together, the UK mortgage provider, both price-pick-toggle deals, which is traditionally seen as something you do only when markets are very, very strong. So it doesn't feel like deals can't get done, it just feels like people are being a little bit pickier, a little bit more price-sensitive, but people can get things over the line if, if, if the price is right and the credit's right.
5: Yeah, I think back to the rate point as well is something that a colleague Owen wrote about last week is that with the underlying rates starting to move, particularly in Europe, the value of the sort of LIBOR floor that you had before is actually diminished quite a bit. So that was the, the bit of extra juice that you didn't see. and you know, that started to you know to, to disappear. I agree with Stephen's point about poorly performing deals. We've seen quite a lot of stretch names or names which are a bit funkier in the single B space, which haven't performed very well. And some of that might be because of the sort of headwinds we're seeing with supply chain and raw material costs. And you know, but there has been a lot of names we've had this year that have come, you know, come and started to trade slightly below par, which are now trading nearer to 90 than par. So I think that's you know definitely something that's in people's minds. I suppose the other thing to think about is just the large. LBO pipeline, and how much are investors just waiting for that to break, and therefore they're sort of keeping some of their powder dry. If you look at the European high yield survey, their view was that bonds are expensive here, and a lot of them have got cash positions of over three percent. So it feels like they are positioning themselves defensively, waiting for either the market to soften or to uh, to take down new supply.
4: Uh, for for example, uh, Morrison's is still to come to market, and if you look where that deal was underwritten in terms of the caps and the documents. That's a good example of how the underwriting environment was a little bit healthier earlier on this year and now things are looking a little bit tighter, especially given that Asda has a has a deal in the market this week that's um, initial price thoughts are 4.75% to 5%, which is only 25 to 50 basis points off where the Morrisons caps are. So there may be a few nervous banks out there.
5: I'm also intrigued to see what's actually happening on the the sort of demand side as well. So it feels like the CLO pricing hasn't really moved much, which means the arbitrage should be better, notwithstanding the LIBOR floor issue. And it's sort of, we are starting to see maybe less CLOs being printed, but it still feels that that sort of pipeline is there and there still seems to be a fair number of warehouses. So it's trying to work out, you know, whether this is actually a, a, a demand picture.
6: When I talk to buy-siders, uh, they will tell me that you know even they might be ramping up CLOs, but they're doing it conservatively. They're aware that um, the way the market is at the moment is priced a bit higher, but there are often deals involved that they don't really want long-term, so they're acting conservatively on this. They're holding back. They're passing more deals by far now than they were in the first half of the year. So it feels like they, are, they actually have quite a bit of flexibility um, in terms of their demand, that they're, they're not rushing to fill any books and they can kind of take it slow um, and hold back when they feel that they're not getting the deal that they really want.
4: I think the covenant context is interesting as well. I think until modulaire it had been a very long time since we saw any changes on a bond deal in terms of covenants. But we have had some pushback on some of those larger LBO deals and maybe slightly more storied credits. And so we have seen people push back on that and actually get material changes to documents. Um, I think the loan side's a little bit more fluid and that changes are a little bit more frequent. Um, and the things that we kind of most typically see are things like margin ratchets, the amount of steps, where they're set versus opening leverage, ticking fees, which are a real bugbear for, for a lot of people in the market. So in a way, those are kind of easy gives and aren't that unusual. But the fact that we've had like material bond ch- material changes on the bond side um, is an interesting um, development.
6: Yeah, I suppose the main complaint that we're hearing from BuySide is that um, the changes that often happen, and the majority of changes, often feel quite performative. So every deal will come with three margin ratchets and end up down at two. Uh, ticking fees, as, as Stephen said, will also often change Um but buy expect those to get changed and they're aware that um, this is a concession that is often being made for the sake of having conceded something and are kind of increasingly frustrated about what can then slip past. Um, things that have been mentioned recently include um, reporting periods, EBITDA adjustments and um, quote-unquote cheeky uh, leverage calculations that mean companies are able to hit their margin ratchet step downs much sooner than um, they might otherwise.
5: We saw a very, very strong market in the middle of September and I think that sort of encouraged some of the uh, the guys structuring these deals to, to go ultra aggressive on docs. And I think Modulair was definitely an example of that where it sort of took that weakness in docs probably as another step change. And I think that was probably maybe the, the point where the buy-siders decided they really wanted to push back on that. So it could be partly that as well that the, the structure started to get more aggressive again.
1: That's almost
0: it for today's spooky episode of Cloud9fin, but before you go, just a little bit of extra information. One Bysider has told 9fin that they expect Median Clinican to close today. Original commitments were due on the 6th of October. An ITV documentary on mental health facility group Priory was aired on the 25th of October. The documentary depicts convicted sex offenders housed at Priory's Kneesworth House Hospital, showing some patients being able to access the internet, including dating and explicit websites. However, according to the sell side, as well as confirmed by bysiders that we've been speaking to, most bysiders will continue to play the deal expecting perhaps only that the margin will stay the same, but uh, the OID might move downwards. The credit already offered chunky pricing with the 500 million euro tranche first guided at Euroball plus 475 to 500 basis points, while the 250 million sterling tranche was talked between Sonia plus 575 to 600 bibs, with both offering a 99 OID. And that's it for today's episode of Cloud9fin. Thank you very much to Alice, to Laura, to Chris, to Stephen, to Josh and to Alex. And most of all, thank you very much to you too, listener. We hope to see you on the next episode. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts or Amazon Music. Have a happy Halloween.